file eighteen of farthest north volume two this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by sharon riskadal farthest north by fridtjof nansen volume two appendix report of captain otto sverdrup on the drifting of the fram from march fourteenth eighteen ninety five appendix chapter one march fifteen to june twenty two eighteen ninety five as far back as february twenty sixth dr nansen had officially informed the crew that after he left the ship i was to be chief officer of the expedition and lieutenant scott hansen second in command before starting he handed me a letter or set of instructions which have been mentioned earlier in the volume the day after that on which the postscript to my instructions is dated that is on thursday march fourteenth at eleven thirty a m dr nansen and johansen left the fram and set forth on their sledge expedition we gave them a parting salute with flag pennant and guns scott hansen henriksen and pettersen accompanied them as far as the first camping-place seven or eight miles from the vessel and returned the next day at two thirty p m in the morning they had helped to harness the dogs and put them to the three sledges in the team of the last sledge there were barnett and pan who all the time had been mortal enemies they began to fight, and Henriksen had to give Barnett a good thrashing in order to part him from the other. In consequence of this fight, the last team was somewhat behind in starting. The other dogs were all the while hauling with all their might, and when the thrashing scene was over, and the disturbers of the peace suddenly commenced to pull, the sledge started off faster than Johansen had calculated, and he was left behind and had to strike out well on his snowshoes scott hansen and the others followed the sledging party with their eyes until they looked like little black dots far far away on the boundless plain of ice with a last sad lingering look after the two whom perhaps they might never see again they put on their snowshoes and started on their journey back at the time when the sledge expedition started the fram lay in eighty four degrees four minutes north latitude and one hundred two degrees east longitude the situation was briefly as follows the vessel was ice-bound in about twenty-five feet of ice with a slight list to starboard she had thus a layer of ice several feet in thickness underneath her keel piled high against the vessel's side to port along her entire length there extended from south southeast to north northwest a pressure ridge reaching up to about the height of the rail on the half-deck aft and slanting slightly eastward from the ship at a distance of about one hundred sixty yards to the northwest there extended in the direction from south to north a long and fairly broad ice-mound the so-called great hummock as much as twenty-two feet high in places midway between the fram and the great hummock there was a newly formed open lane about fifty yards wide while across her bow at a distance of fifty yards there was an old channel that had been closed up by the ice-pressure but which opened later on in the spring upon the great hummock which had been formed by the violent ice-pressure on january twenty seventh eighteen ninety four we had established our depot on the slope looking towards the ship 
the depot consisted of piled-up tin boxes containing provisions and other necessaries and formed six or seven small mounds covered with sailcloth moreover our snowshoes and sledges were stored there halfway between the vessel and the great hummock lay the petroleum launch which when the new channel or rift had opened right under her had to be drawn a little way farther out onto the ice finally there was our forge this was situated about thirty yards off a little abaft the port quarter and was hewn out in the slope of the above-mentioned pressure ridge the roof being made of a quantity of spars over which blocks of ice were piled with a layer of snow on the top all frozen together so as to form a compact mass a tarpaulin served in place of a door the first and most pressing work which we had to take in hand was to remove part of the high-pressure ridge on the port side i was afraid that if the ice pressure continued the vessel might be forced down instead of upward while she had so high a ridge of ice resting against the whole of her port side the work was commenced by all hands on march nineteenth we had five sledges and a box on each and each worked by two men there were two parties at work simultaneously with one sledge each forward and two parties aft working towards each other while the fifth party of two men with one sledge were cutting a passage thirteen feet wide right up to the middle of the vessel the layer of ice which was in this way removed from all along the vessel's side reached to double the height of a man except in the central passage where it had previously been removed to a depth of about three yards partly in view of possible ice pressure against this the lowest part of the hull and partly in order to clear the gangway by which the dogs passed to and from the vessel the carting away of ice commenced on the nineteenth and concluded on march twenty seventh the whole of the pressure ridge on the port side was removed down to such a depth that two and a half planks of the ship's ice skin were free all the time while this work was going on the weather was fairly cold the temperature down to minus thirty eight degrees and minus forty degrees centigrade minus thirty six point four degrees and minus forty degrees fahrenheit however all passed off well and successfully except that scott hansen was unfortunate enough to have one of his big toes frozen the doctor and i were together at the same sledge my diary says he always suspected me of being out of temper and i him as a matter of fact it is my habit to dislike talking when i am busy with any work while the reverse is the case with the doctor as according to my custom i kept silence the doctor believed i was in a bad humor and in the same way i fancied that he was in the sulks because he abstained from chatting but the misunderstanding was soon cleared up and we laughed heartily at it as dr nonsen's and johansen's departure afforded an opportunity for a more comfortable redistribution of quarters i moved into nonsen's cabin after having packed in cases the effects he left behind and stowed them away in the forehold jacobsen the mate who was formerly quartered with four of the crew in the large cabin on the port side had my cabin allotted to him and in the starboard cabin where four men had been quartered there were now only three the workroom too was restored to its former honor and dignity the lamp-glasses of the oil-stove there had got broken in the course of the year 
Amundsen now replaced these with chimneys of tin and fitted thin sheets of mica over the peepholes. The stove having thus been repaired, the workroom became the busiest and most comfortable compartment in the whole vessel. After the various operations of shifting and putting in order the things on board and in the depot, our next care was to ensure easy and convenient access to the vessel by constructing a proper gangway aft consisting of two spars with packing-case planks nailed between them and a rope handrail attached. When all this was done, we set to work at the long and manifold preparations of every kind for a sledge journey southward, in the event, which as a matter of fact none of us considered likely, of our being obliged to abandon the Fram. We constructed sledges and kayaks, sewed bags for our stores, selected and weighed out provisions and other necessities, etc., etc. This work kept us busy for a long time. In addition to all the other things, we had to provide ourselves with more snowshoes, as we were scantily supplied with them. Snowshoes we must have, good strong ones, at least one pair to every man. But where were the materials to come from? There was no more wood fit for making snowshoes to be found on board. It is true that we had a large piece of oak timber left available, but we were in need of a suitable instrument to split it with, as it could not be cut up with the small saws we had on board. In our dilemma, we had recourse to the ice saw. Amundsen converted it, by filing it in a different way, into a rip saw. Benson made handles for it, and as soon as it was ready, Mogstead and Henriksen commenced to saw the beam of oak to pieces. At first the work went slowly, most of the time being taken up with filing and setting the saw, but gradually it went better, and on April 6th the timber was cut up into six pairs of good boards for making snowshoes, which we temporarily deposited in the saloon for drying. As I consider Canadian snowshoes superior to Norwegian snowshoes, when it is a question of hauling heavily loaded sledges over such a rough and uneven surface as is presented by polar ice, I directed Mogstead to make ten Canadian pairs of maple wood, of which we had a quantity on board. Instead of the netting of reindeer skin, we stretched sailcloth over the frames. This did the same service as network, while it had the advantage of being easier to repair. With the snowshoes which we had, we undertook frequent excursions, more particularly Scott Hansen and myself. While out on one of these trips, on which Amundsen, Nordahl, and Pedersen also accompanied us, three miles west of the vessel, we came across a large hummock, which we named Lovenden on account of its resemblance to the island Lovenden off the coast of Heligoland. This hummock presented very good snowshoeing slopes, and we practiced there to our heart's content. On May 1st we had finished the snowshoes intended for daily use, and I gave orders that henceforth daily snowshoe trips should be made by all hands from 11 a.m. till 1 p.m. if the weather was good. These snowshoe runs were to everybody's taste, and were necessary, not only in order to afford brisk exercise in the open air, but also in order to impart to those who were less accustomed to snowshoes a sufficient degree of skill in the event of our having to abandon the Fram. 
while the removal of the ridge was proceeding there continued to be a good deal of disturbance in the ice twenty yards from the vessel a new lane was formed running parallel to the old one between us from the depot and in addition to this a number of larger or smaller cracks had opened in all directions a little later on during the time from april eleventh to may ninth there was on the whole considerable disturbance in the ice with several violent pressures in the lanes around the vessel on the first mentioned day in the evening scott hansen and i took a snowshoe trip towards the northeast along the new channel between the vessel and the depot on our way back pressure set in in the channel and we had an opportunity of witnessing a screwing such as i had never seen equalled first there was quite a narrow channel running parallel to the principal channel which was covered over with young ice about two feet thick thereupon a larger channel opened just beyond the first and running alongside it during the pressure which then followed the edges crashed against each other with such violence as to force the ice down so that we frequently saw it from three to four fathoms deep under water newly frozen sea ice is marvelously elastic and will bend to an astonishing degree without breaking in another place we saw how the new ice had bulged up in large wave-like eminences without breaking on may fifth the wide lane aft was jammed up by ice pressure and in its stead a rift was formed in the ice on the port side about one hundred yards from us and approximately parallel to the ship thus we now lay in an altered position inasmuch as the fram was no longer connected with and depended on one solid and continuous ice field but separated from it by more or less open channels and attached to a large floe which was daily decreasing in size as new cracks were formed the principal channel aft of the vessel continued to open out during the latter part of april and on the twenty ninth had become very wide it extended north as far as the eye could reach and was conspicuous moreover by reason of the dark reflection which seemed to hover above it in the sky it probably attained its maximum width on may first when scott hansen and i measured it and found that just astern of the vessel it was nine hundred seventy five yards and farther north over fifteen hundred yards fourteen hundred thirty two meters in width had the fram been loose at the time i should have gone north in the channel as far as possible but this was not to be thought of seeing how the ship had been raised up on and walled in by the ice no later than may second the principal channel closed up again the mate nordahl and amundsen who just then happened to be out on a snowshoe trip south along the channel were eye-witnesses of the jamming of the ice which they described as having been a grand sight the fresh southeasterly wind had imparted a considerable impetus to the ice and when the edges of the ice approached each other with considerable velocity and force two large projecting tongues first came into collision with a crash like thunder and in a moment were forced up in a hummock about twenty feet high only to collapse soon after and disappear with equal suddenness under the edge of the ice 
wherever the ice was not forced up into the air the one ice edge would slide over or under the other while all the projecting tongues and blocks of ice were crushed to thousands of fragments which filled up pretty evenly any small crevices still remaining of what had before been such a mighty opening our drift towards the north during the first month was almost nil for instance on april nineteenth we had not advanced more than four minutes of latitude about four miles to the north nor did we drift much to the west in the same period later on we made better headway but not by a long way as much as in eighteen ninety four on may twenty third i wrote in the journal as follows we are all very anxious to see what will be the net result of our spring drift if we could reach sixty degrees east longitude by the summer or autumn i believe we could be certain to get back home about the autumn of eighteen ninety six the spring drift this year is considerably less strong than last year but perhaps it may continue longer into the summer if we were to drift this year as far as last during the time from may sixteenth to june sixteenth we should reach sixty eight degrees east longitude but it will not be possible now to reach that longitude so early. Possibly we may manage this year to escape the strong backdrift during the summer, make a little headway instead, and if so, it will be all the better for us. The ice is not so much cut up by channels this year as it was this time last year. It is true there are a good many, but last year we could scarcely get about at all, simply on account of the lanes." this year we have large sheets of ice ahead of us in which scarcely any openings are to be found in order to observe the drift of the ice we prepared a kind of log line from one hundred to one hundred fifty fathoms in length to the end of which there was attached a conical open bag of loosely woven material in which small animals could be caught up immediately above the bag a lead was fitted to the line so that the bag itself might drag freely in the water the log was lowered through a fairly wide hole in the ice which it was a most difficult task to keep open during the cold season several times a day the line was examined and the angle of drift was measured for this measurement we had constructed a quadrant fitted with a plumb line now and then we would haul in the log line to see whether it was still in order and to collect whatever the bag might contain in the way of little animals or other objects as a rule the contents were insignificant consisting only of a few specimens of low organisms at the end of may the spring drift was over the wind veered round to the southwest west and northwest the back drift or summer drift then set in however it was not of long duration as by june eighth we again had an easterly wind with a good drift to the west so that on the twenty second we were at eighty four degrees thirty one point seven minutes north latitude and eighty degrees fifty eight minutes east longitude and during the last days of june and the greater part of july the drift went still better a circumstance which helped to increase the monotony of our drift in the ice during the winter and spring eighteen ninety five was the great scarcity of animal life in that part of the polar sea for long periods at a stretch we did not see a single living thing even the polar bears who roam so far were not to be seen 
hence the appearance in the afternoon of may seventh of a small seal in a newly opened lane close by the vessel was hailed with universal delight it was the first seal that we had set eyes upon since march subsequently we often saw seals of the same kind in the open channels but they were very shy so that it was not until well on in the summer that we succeeded in killing one and this was so small that we ate the whole of it at one meal on may fourteenth pettersen told us that he had seen a white bird as he thought an ice gull flying westward on the twenty-second mogstad saw a snow-bunting which circled round the vessel and after this the harbingers of spring became daily more numerous our hunting-bags however were very scanty it was not until june tenth that we secured the first game when the doctor succeeded in shooting a fulmer and a kittiwake laura's tridactylus true he prefaced these exploits by sundry misses but in the end he managed to hit the birds and all's well that ends well as regards the fulmar it was an exciting chase as it had only been winged and took refuge in the open channel pettersen was the first to go after it followed by amundsen the doctor scott hansen and the whole pack of dogs and at last they managed to secure it after this it was a matter of daily occurrence to see birds quite near and in order to be better able to secure them and seals to boot we moored our sealing boat in the open channel this was equipped with a sail and with ballast composed of some of the castings from the windmill which we had been obliged to take down and the very first evening after the boat had been put on the water scott hansen henriksen and benson went for a sail in the channel the dogs seized this occasion to take some capital exercise they took it into their heads to follow the boat along the edge of the channel backward and forward as the boat tacked it was stiff work for them to keep always abreast of it as they had to make many detours round small channels and bays in the ice and when at last they had got near it panting and with their tongues protruding far from their mouths the boat would go about and they had to cover the same ground over again on june twentieth the doctor and i shot one black guillemo each we also saw some little ox but the dogs entering too eagerly into the sport as a welcome break in the prolonged oppressive solitude and monotony rushed ahead of us and scared the birds away before we could get a shot at them as i have already mentioned the mill had to be taken down the shaft broke one fine day below the upper driving wheel and had to be removed and taken to the forge for repair pettersen welded it together again and on may ninth the mill was again in sufficiently good order for use but it wore out very speedily more especially in the gearings so that after the first week or two in june it was almost useless we therefore pulled it down and stowed away all wooden parts and castings on the ridge on the port side except portions of hard wood which we kept on board and found very useful for making up into sledge shafts and other things the weather was good all through march april and may with mild easterly breezes or calms and as a rule a clear atmosphere once or twice the wind veered round to the south or west but these changes were invariably of short duration this settled calm weather at last became quite a trial to us as it contributed in a great measure to increase the dreariness and monotony of the scene around us and had a depressing effect on our spirits 
matters improved a little towards the end of may when for a time we had a fresh westerly breeze to be sure this was a contrary wind but it was at any rate a little change on june eighth the wind veered round to the east again and now increased in strength so that on sunday the ninth we had half a gale from the east-southeast with a velocity of thirty-three feet per second being the strongest fair wind we had had for a long time it was astonishing what a change a single day of fair wind would work in the spirits of all on board those who previously moved about dreamily and listlessly now awakened to fresh courage and enterprise every face beamed with satisfaction previously our daily intercourse consisted of the monosyllables yes and no now we were brimming over with jokes and fun from morning to night laughter and song and lively chat was heard all around and with our spirits rose our hopes for a favorable drift the chart was brought out again and again and the forecasts were apt to be sanguine enough if the wind keeps long in this quarter we shall be at such and such a spot on such and such a day it is as clear as daylight we shall be home some time in the autumn of eighteen ninety six just see how we have drifted up to now and the farther we get west the faster we shall go and so forth the cold which in the middle of march did not exceed minus forty degrees centigrade kept steadily at from minus thirty degrees to minus twenty five degrees during april but it decreased at a comparatively rapid rate in may so that by about the middle of the month the thermometer registered minus fourteen degrees and in the latter part only minus six degrees on june third so far the warmest day a large pond of water had formed close to the vessel although the highest temperature attained that day was minus two degrees and the weather was overcast on june fifth the thermometer for the first time stood above freezing point that is at plus zero point two degrees it then fell again for a few days going down to minus six degrees but on the eleventh it rose again to about two degrees above freezing point and so on the amount of atmospheric moisture deposited during the above-mentioned period was most insignificant only a very slight snowfall now and then however thursday june sixth was an exception the wind which for several days had been blowing from the south and west veered round to the northwest during the night and at eight a m next morning it changed to the north blowing a fresh breeze with an exceptionally heavy snowfall we saw the midnight sun for the first time during the night of april second one of the scientific tasks of the expedition was to investigate the depth of the polar sea our lines which were weak and not very suitable for this purpose were soon so worn by friction corrosion oxidation etc that we were compelled not only to use them most cautiously but also to limit the number of soundings far more than was desirable it sometimes happened that the line would break while being hauled in so that a good deal of it was lost the first sounding after the departure of dr nansen and johansen was taken on april twenty third we thought we should be able to lower away down to three thousand meters sixteen hundred twenty five fathoms in one run but as the line commenced to slacken at nineteen hundred meters one thousand twenty nine fathoms we thought we had touched bottom and hauled the line up again 
As it appeared that the line had not reached the bottom, we now let down 3,000 meters of line, 1,625 fathoms, but in doing so we lost about 900 meters of line, 487 fathoms. Accordingly, I assumed that we had touched ground at 2,100 meters, 1,138 fathoms, and I therefore lowered the line to that depth without touching bottom. The next day we took new soundings at depths of 2,100, 2,300, 2,500, and 3,000 meters respectively, 1,137, 1,245, 1,353, and 1,625 fathoms, but all without touching bottom. On the third day, April 25th, we sounded first at 3,000 meters and then at 3,200 meters. 1,625 and 1,733 fathoms without touching bottom. The steel line being too short, we had to lengthen it with a hemp line and now went down to 3,400 meters, 1,841 fathoms. While hauling up, we perceived that the line broke and found that in addition to the 110 fathoms length of hemp line, we had lost about 275 fathoms of steel line. We then stopped taking soundings till July 22nd, as the hemp lines were so badly worn that we dared not venture to use them again until milder weather set in. Wind and weather were, of course, a favorite topic on board the Fram, especially in connection with our drift. As is but right and proper, we had a weather prophet on board, to wit, Pedersen. His specialty was to predict fair wind, and in this respect he was untiring, although his predictions were by no means invariably fulfilled. But he also posed as a prophet in other departments, and nothing seemed to delight him more than the offer of a bet with him on his predictions. If he won, he was beaming with good humor for days at a stretch, and if he lost, he often knew how to shroud both his forecast and the result in oracular mystery and darkness so that both parties appeared to be right. At times, as already hinted, he was unlucky, and then he was mercilessly chaffed. But at other times he would have a run of astounding luck, and then his courage would rise to such an extent that he was ready to prophesy and bet about anything. Among his great misfortunes was a bet made with the mate on May 4th that we should have land in sight by the end of October, and on May 24th he made a bet with Nordahl that by Monday night, the 27th, we should be at 80 degrees east longitude. Needless to say, we all wished that his incredible predictions might come true, but alas, the miracle did not happen, for it was not until June 27th that the Fram passed the 80th degree of longitude. During the latter part of May, the sun and the spring weather commenced to disperse the layer of snow around the vessel to such an extent as to make quite a little pond of snow water on the ice forward. As at that part especially, but also all along the side of the vessel, the snow was full of soot, refuse, and the clearings from the kennels, it was greatly to be feared that an injurious, or at any rate obnoxious, smell might arise, and if besides this, as was the case last year, a pond should form round the vessel, the water in it would be too impure to be used in flushing the deck. 
I therefore set all hands to work to cart away the snow from the starboard side, a job which took about two days. The setting in of spring now kept us busy with various things for some time, both on board and on the ice. One of the first things to be done was to bring our depot safely on board, as lanes and rifts were now forming more frequently in the ice, and some of the goods in the depot would not bear exposure to damp. The action of the sun's rays on the awning or tent soon became so strong that the snow underneath the boats and on the davits began to melt. All snow and ice had therefore to be removed or scraped away, not only under the awning, but also under the boats, on the deck-house, in the passage on the starboard side, in the holds, and wherever else it was necessary. In the afterhold there was much more ice now than last winter, probably owing to the fact that we had kept the saloon much warmer this winter than before. In the saloon, the library, and the cabins, we had a thorough spring cleaning. This was very badly needed, as the ceilings, walls, and all the furniture and fittings, in the course of the long polar night, had got covered with a thick, grimy-looking coating composed of soot, grease, smoke, dust, and other ingredients. I myself took in hand the painting of the saloon and of my own cabin, which little by little had assumed the same dusky ground tint as their surroundings, and on the whole looked rather enigmatic. By dint of much labor, and the application of a liberal supply of soap and water, I succeeded in restoring them to something like their pristine beauty. We finished our general clean-up on Whitsun Eve, June 1st, and thus spent a really comfortable Whitsuntide, with butter porridge for supper, and a few extra delicacies afterwards. After Whitsuntide, we again took in hand various things required in view of the season, and of the possibility that the Fram might get afloat in the course of the summer. On the great hummock were many things I thought might be left there for the present, for instance, the greater part of our dog's food. The cases containing this were piled up to four different heights, so as to form a sloping roof off which the water could easily run, and I had the whole covered over with a tarpaulin. The longboat on the port side, which I proposed to leave on the ice till the winter, was deposited in a safe place about fifty yards from the ship, and provided with sails, rigging, oars, and a full equipment, ready for any emergency. The scraping away of the ice in the holds and on the half-deck was finished on June 12th. We tried to cut the steam-pipe aft, the pipe for rinse-water, out of the ice, but had to abandon the attempt. One end of this pipe had been resting ever since last year on the ice, and it was now so deeply frozen in that we could not release it. We cut a hole all around it four feet deep, but the hole quickly filled with water, so we left it to the summer heat to thaw the pipe loose. So much water commenced to accumulate in the engine room about this time that we had to bail out considerable quantities, certainly 130 gallons per day. We at first thought that the water was produced by the thawing of the ice on board, but it subsequently appeared that it was mainly due to leakages, which probably arose from the fact that ice forming in the different layers of the ship's skin forced the planking somewhat apart. The state of health continued excellent, and the doctor had virtually nothing to do in his professional capacity. 
in the way of casualties there were only a few of the most trifling nature such as a frozen big toe a little skin chafing here and there a sore eye or two that was all however we led a very regular life with the twenty-four hours suitably distributed between work exercise and rest we slept well and fed well and so we were very little concerned at the fact that when being weighed on may seventh we were found to have lost flesh however the falling off was not great the aggregate weight of the whole party was barely eight pounds less than the month before there was however one complaint that we suffered from a contagious one though not of a dangerous nature it became a fashion or if you like a fashionable complaint on board the fram to shave one's head it was said that an infallible method of producing a more luxuriant growth of hair was to shave away the little hair that still adorned the head of the patient ewell first started it and then a regular mania set in the others following his examples one by one with the exception of myself and one or two more like a cautious general i first waited a while to see whether the expected harvest sprouted on my comrade's shaven poles and as the hair did not seem to grow any stronger than before i preferred a recipe ordered by the doctor that is to wash the head daily with soft soap and subsequently rub in an ointment to make this treatment more effectual however and let the ointment get at the scalp I followed the example of the others and shaved my head several times. Personally, I do not believe that the process did any good, but Pedersen was of a different opinion. The deuce take me, said he one day afterwards when cutting my hair, if the captain hasn't got some jolly strong bristles on his crown after that treatment. The 17th of May brought the finest weather that could be imagined a clear bright sky dazzling sunshine ten degrees to twelve degrees of cold and an almost perfect calm the sun which at this time of the year never sets throughout the twenty-four hours was already high in the heavens when at eight a m we were awakened by the firing of a gun and by joyous strains of the organ we jumped into our clothes more speedily than usual swallowed our breakfast and with the liveliest expectation prepared for what was in store for the festival committee had been very busy the previous day punctually at eleven o'clock the various corporations assembled under their flags and insignia and were assigned their position in the grand procession i marched at the head with the norwegian flag next came scott hansen with the fram's pennant and then followed mogstad with the banner of the meteorological department richly bedecked with cyclonic centers and prospects of fair weather he was seated on a box covered with bearskin placed on a sledge drawn by seven dogs the banner waving behind him on a pole rigged as a mast amundsen was number four bearing a demonstration banner in favor of the pure flag and he was followed by his esquire nordahl on snowshoes with a spear in his hand and a rifle slung on his back the flag showed on the red ground a picture of an old norwegian warrior breaking his spear over his knee with the inscription onward onward from from ye norsemen your own flag in your own land what we do we do for norway 
Fifth in the procession came the mate, with the Norwegian arms on a red background, and sixth was Pedersen with the flag of the mechanical department. Last came the band, represented by Benson with an accordion. The procession was followed by the public dressed in their best, that is, the doctor, Ewell, and Henriksen, in picturesque confusion. To the waving of banners and strains of music, the procession wended its way past the corner of the university, that is, the Fram, down Carl Johann Street and Church Street, a road laid out by Scott Hansen for the occasion across the rift in front and the pressure ridge, past Engebretts, the depot on the ice, and then wheeled round to the fortification parade, that is, the top of the great hummock, where it stopped and faced round with flags erect. There I called for cheers in honor of the festive occasion, in response to which there rose a ninefold hurrah from the densely packed multitude. At exactly twelve o'clock, the official salute of the 17th May was fired from our big bow guns. Then came a splendid banquet. The doctor had contributed a bottle of aquavit, and every man had a bottle of genuine crown malt extract from the Royal Brewery in Copenhagen. When the roast was served, Scott Hansen proposed the health of our dear ones at home and of our two absent comrades, who he hoped might achieve the task they had set themselves and return home safely. This toast was accompanied by a salute of two guns. At 4 p.m. a great popular festival was held on the ice. The place was prettily decorated with flags and other emblems, and the program offered a rich variety of entertainments. There was rope dancing, gymnastics, shooting at running hares, and many other items. The public were in a highly festive mood throughout and vigorously applauded the artists in all their performances. After a supper which was not far behind the dinner in excellence, we gathered at night in the saloon around a steaming bowl of punch. The doctor, amid loud applause, proposed the health of the organizing committee, and I proposed the Fram. After this we kept it up in the merriest and most cordial spirit until far into the night. End of file 18